Welcome back to the Sports Lawyers Association podcast. Whether you work for a team on the field, the ice, a court, track, or a diamond, our association gives you an opportunity to grow. You're listening to episode number four, NFL Insider Outsider with Mark Rogers, a member of the Sports Lawyers Association Board of Directors. Alongside Mark is Mike Tannenbaum, another member of the Sports Lawyers Association Board of Directors. Sit back and enjoy this episode of the Sports Lawyers Association podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Sports Lawyers Association podcast. I'm Mike Tannenbaum, former executive vice president of football operations of the Miami Dolphins, former GM of the New York Jets, and currently uh, front office insider for ESPN. And it's my pleasure to host this week's podcast with none other than Mark Rogers. Mark Rogers is the only agent that I know of that has successfully negotiated two $100 million deals in the sport of both football with Russell Wilson and baseball in Mike Hampton. So, uh, Mark, I'd like to introduce you and maybe we could start with um, if you could give us a little bit about your background and how you rose to uh, prominence in such a competitive field. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate uh, this opportunity and, and you hosting the podcast for the Sports Lawyers Association. So, um, boy, I, I don't know about the rising to prominence, but uh, I know it's been a it's been a long run and a hard run. Um, uh, persevere through a lot of different uh, things. As you know, our business, both yours and mine, so competitive, so difficult. It's it's about sports and sports is about winning and losing. So uh, we've experienced a lot of that. But I, uh, I've been an attorney for 31 years and uh, proud to say I've been a member of the Sports Lawyers Association for 31 years and uh, went to um, uh, undergrad at Florida State, uh, graduated, was a high school uh, teacher and a coach for three years in Miami, went off to law school for three years and graduated in 1987 and have been, uh, was a full-time commercial litigator for a period of time uh, before entering the sports field full-time. And uh, it's been quite a ride, but certainly, uh, certainly a joy. Today I do it. I have a firm called Frontline Athlete Management and one other a co-owner with me, one partner, and, and uh, we've got some associates who work with us. Relatively small firm. We're not quite boutique-ish anymore. Uh, but we're certainly mid to lower lower size uh, sports management firm. That's great. So uh, I, I know everybody would like to hear you know about some of these prominent and somewhat historic uh, negotiations, and maybe we could just start with Russell Wilson. Uh, I'd love to hear what it's like to represent him, his character, and uh, what it's been like to you know be his partner through this incredible ride. Yeah, it's a great question, Mike. I um, look, I I I, I would be Long if I said it hasn't been an honor every day. Fortunately for me, um, I've represented Russell for 10 years. He actually hired me when he was playing baseball and football at North Carolina State. He hired me to represent him in the baseball draft. He was a fourth round pick of the Colorado Rockies. And before the draft, he was being, scouts were talking to him, GMs and scouting directors were talking to him about his interest in pro baseball. Uh, Russell had been drafted out of high school and uh, decided to go to college instead. So there had been some interest already in Russell. But anyway, Russell hired me. I represented him in baseball. He went off and played a summer of baseball out, in, ironically, in the state of Washington in the Tri-City area. And I went back to NC State, played football. And, of course, everybody knows the Russell Wilson story. He ended up transferring to Wisconsin and 
and, and taking them to the Rose Bowl and getting drafted in the third round and starting every game for eight years for the Seahawks. But, you know, I've been a, been a, been along for that ride. Certainly um, um, it's been quite a wild ride. He's been through an awful lot, but uh, a Super Bowl in his second year and obviously the, the, the dreadful loss in the third year and the ups and downs in the organization. And, uh, you know, he's in his eighth year, he has at 30 years old, he certainly seems to have settled in. Um, really it's, it's that, that a day doesn't go by that I'm not doing something for or with Russell. And, uh, he's become, you know, a brand, he's become a corporation. He's become a very, very, very successful entrepreneur has a lot of interest outside of the game of football, including other team ownerships and other sports. And um, really, he because of him, I've been introduced to so many new venues and people and opportunities that really in, uh, I had not had experiences in, in the first 20 years of my practice. That's great. And how about uh, taking us through the dynamics of uh, the recent negotiations? Again, the $100 million extension. And it's interesting. Uh, there's a very popular website that we all follow. There's basically two uh, sport track and over the cap dot com that uh, does analysis on uh, contracts. And it's interesting that. One of them recently opined, Mark, that, uh, and I know you saw this, that Russell Wilson arguably is a, a great value, which I'm sure uh, you probably got uh, some, uh, I would say, comic relief from. But I'd love to hear about how you quarterback that deal and how you were able to arrive at such a successful conclusion. Yeah, well, th- thanks, Mike. I, um, you know, I had been, obviously, everybody knew Russell was now playing under the last year of his his last deal that we did for him. And and you know, and you know the experience in football. Typically, a franchise, the owner, and the, the president, general manager, head coach, they want to solidify the quarterback contractually to make sure they don't lose him or get in a situation where they're having to use the franchise tags to secure him. And you know, a little bit like what Kirk Cousins did to get out of Washington to get to Minnesota. And so, just like last time, the, the Seahawks let us know that they were interested in doing an extension. Um, I met with, you know, did a lot, a lot of work on the deal before ever meeting with Russell and, and Sierra, his wife, to talk about it. Uh, we met at the Super Bowl in Atlanta uh, last last February and uh, spent a couple of days just talking through it. And Russell was absolutely adamant that he wanted to have a deadline on this, uh, on the negotiations, because in our last negotiation, Mike, it got a little bit of contentious leading up to training camp. And, um, you know, it goes back and forth. Too much of it gets in the media today. And he wanted to try to avoid that. So this year, this time we set the deadline for the beginning of off-season workouts, which, as you know, is very early in the spring. And uh, I thought it was ingenious because, really, at the end of the day, some people called it an artificial deadline. It wasn't artificial to us. It was we either have a deal done by 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 the first day of off-season workouts or we're not going to do a deal. And certainly, we're not going to be talking about a deal during off-season workouts. Russell felt like, and I couldn't agree with him more, this is where he's really, really insightful. He didn't feel that there was anything he could do during the off-season workouts mini camp and exhibition season that was going to improve his value. There was nothing more he could do. Um, and really, if you think about it, Mike, and you know this being a, an executive in football for so long, the only, only the opposite is true. Somebody could get hurt. Something could happen that would really devalue him. So we put some, you know, we, we put the deadline out there. John Snyder um, didn't, didn't seem too concerned about us doing that. I think, frankly, I think John was happy about it because it gave John some cost certainty with his salary cap. And, uh, and then we just, we just hammered away at it. Um, he and Matt Thomas and I, um, you know, it's really, Mike, and this probably surprises you a little bit. I kind of go solo on these things. I, while I have some backroom support in the room, 
you know, in, in Seattle and I did all the negotiations face to face. We didn't do anything over the phone. I spent the week in the city and really spent a week in their offices and uh, was available to John and Matt throughout that week. And, uh, you know, we just hammered it out issue by issue, you know, really trying to make sense of it all. Um, and there are some impediments in dealing with every club, as you know, and the Seahawks have their particular matrix that they want to try to stay within. And um, so we worked it out. But, you know, at the end of the day, look, I, I there are so many athletes in the history of sports who have been underpaid, as we all know. Um, and But the great ones, the, the Michael Jordans and the LeBron Jameses and the Tom Brady's, the greatest of all time in their sports and in their positions uh, have arguably been, quote, underpaid for the value they bring to their franchise in our sport, your sport, football, there's, there's certain limitations to that. And same with basketball, right? There's the salary cap. And as much as a club may want to, may want to pay a player more, it becomes an economic mathematical reality that you have to deal with only being able to spend a certain amount of money. So um, while he's underpaid it, it, when you're the highest paid player in the history of the game, it's hard to claim that you're totally underpaid. <laughs> well, well, well said. How about the juxtaposition of that compared to uh, if you could take us through your experience uh, signing Mike Hampton to his extent? Uh, yeah, well, completely different experience. You know, Mike had been, uh, it was, you know, I, I, again, I represented Mike since he was 19 years old. He became a free agent in baseball at 26 after being traded from Houston to the Mets. He, he you know, it was fortuitous for him. He had turned down, a, a, you know, he had turned down a big deal in Houston because we turned it down. They traded him to the Mets. We turned down a big deal with the Mets to get Mike to free agency. Mike ended up leading the Mets that year to the World Series. You might remember the Subway Series against the Yankees. Mike was the most valuable player of the National League Championship Series. He pitched phenomenal in that series for the Mets. He became a free agent, which Russell never never was, right? So completely different experience. And back then, there had only been $100 million player, and that was Kevin Brown had done a deal with the Dodgers uh, Scott Boris did that deal for him with the Dodgers the year before. And uh, we tried to exceed what Kevin Brown had done. Mike was 26. He was healthy. He was coming off a year, two years previous. He had won 22 games. The next year he's MVP. And, and you know, so we felt we were in a position to maximize that. And, and you'll appreciate this. There's 30 teams in Major League Baseball. The day Mike became eligible as a free agent to talk to other clubs, I was at the general manager's meetings in Amelia Island, Florida, 24 teams out of the 30 contacted me about Mike Hampton. So wow. I had preliminary interviews that week with 24 teams. We narrowed it down to 12. Um, and ironically, Mike's wife was pregnant at the time. So Mike couldn't go visit the cities. And, and he's 26. He's got getting ready to have a second child. You know, just a lot of things. So we had all 12 teams fly into Houston to meet with us there, which was a little bit unprecedented. So a couple of general managers weren't real happy. But we had owners, we had general managers, we had presidents, we had managers coming in, and you know it was an amazing time. And I'll be honest with you, Mike, um, it was it was the the early winter of 2000. And again, I was I was on my own. I, I really had I was a solo practitioner. I was doing it all on my own, and I was flying from the seat of my pants. And uh, somehow, some way, uh, we ended up negotiating the biggest contract at the time in the history of all team sports. You know, Mike got a hundred and twenty-three million dollar eight-year deal, all guaranteed, to go to Colorado. And um, you know, I, I wish I could say it was all about me, um, but uh, you know, Mike was just in the perfect place at the perfect time, and he was the perfect guy. Left-handed pitcher, who teams coveted, and uh, when you have the Yankees and the Cubs and the Dodgers um, and the Mets 
and and then eventually, you know, the, the Rockies all negotiating. You you you've got some leverage, and that's we use that leverage to jack to get that deal to where we did. And uh, I know um, your relationship with the organization, the Sports Lawyers Association, has been influential in your career and for aspiring sports agents, sports lawyers. Can you give some context to what it's been like uh, to be a member and how it's impacted your career? Well, you know, it's been invaluable. I've been a member for 31 years. Um, the nice thing about, for me, for the Sports Lawyers Association, it allowed me to discover the value of mentorship. And, and you know, there are venerable agents, gentlemen who are icons in our industry, like Jack Mills and Tony Agnon and Ray Anderson and others who, you know, I was the kid who would pick up the phone and call those guys and wasn't embarrassed to ask a stupid question because, you know, they were, they were kind and they were thoughtful and they, you know, they were, they blessed me with their gift of time, you know, walking me through, I'd have questions, you know, at, at different times that, that probably were stupid questions, but they were real and they had to do with the players I was representing. And, and they were, you know, very helpful in that regard. And then you go to these seminars and you're around all of these people. I mean, Mike, that's how I met you. I mean, you and I are on the board together. And, um, you know, I've met so many neat people, really the people who have moved the needle in all sports and all, whether it's whether it's college, high school, pro, whether it's man, equipment manufacturers, whether it's international federations, it's, you know, we have, we have general counsels of teams. I mean, we have people from every walk of sports life. In, in that group and uh, fascinating. I mean, the, the, you know, to meet those people, to be around those people, to pick their brains, to, to just listen to their, to, to their experiences and their, and get a piece of that knowledge from them. I mean, I don't know what I would have done without the sports lawyer association. I probably would have figured something out because we're all resilient, but it certainly was an easier path to getting the right answers. And um, you know, it's been invaluable. I'm, I'm just, it, it, you know, was so honored when they called and asked me to be on the board of directors a few years ago, I was like, you know, knock on wood. And I'll tell you what, Mike, like you, it, it becomes full circle. Your phone starts ringing and people start asking you, you know, for advice and it makes you feel good that you can give back in that way as well. No, no doubt. Much is given, much is expected. And uh, you have uh, more than paid it forward, Mark. And I've seen you mentor people uh, firsthand and uh, it's been a privilege to be a board member. So with that, I'd like to wrap it up. Appreciate your time and your insight today. And uh, the Sports Lawyers Association is uh, better for it with you being a member. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate you. Thanks for all you do. And uh, you know what? I'm going to go turn the TV on and watch you, okay? <laughs> you got better things to do than that. I don't know. You're the insider now. Now I have to rely on your information to get my deal done. All right, there so, we go. I like that. All right. Thank well, here's to the next $100 million. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Feel free to share your thoughts with us on Twitter at Sports Lawyers. Or find us on Facebook and LinkedIn and be sure to be on the lookout for more podcasts. 